so I want to start off by telling you a story of a time when I uh, struggled to to raise my hand. I remember I was working in corporate. This is a couple of years back. And I remember there was an event that was hosted, a TEDx event that the organizers, or at least the company, had decided to host. And this was an exciting event. They had prolific speakers as part of the lineup. And I was going to sit in the audience and take all of this in. And I remember very specifically taking in all the different speeches and the stories. And I thought this was absolutely fascinating. Uh, But at some point, I remember them directing, or at least the person who was program directing, opening up, uh, you know, the floor and inviting us to step in with questions that we had. And uh, I will never forget how when they came to me, um, I kind of just was, I was stuck. I hit a blank. Um, And I was just so nervous as I had to raise my hand and step in and ask a question. Um, At the end of it all, I remember mustering up the courage to ask something, tripping on my words, being incredibly nervous and, you know, eventually asking the question. Fast forward a couple of years later, and I tell this story as part of one of the reasons that compelled me, uh, you know, to start the Be Heard program. Because I realized that part of what was holding me back in terms of my corporate career was the fact that at some point in this entire journey, I'd become somebody who went from having a voice, who was confident, uh, you know, to somebody whose self-esteem had been whittled down. And I couldn't even, you know, raise my hand to ask a question. Uh, And so when we conceptualized, we heard all those years ago and have consistently worked on it, it is informed by the fact that I had the experience of sitting in an audience and being asked, Zoya, what do you think? And hitting a complete blank, unable to respond and speak out uh, using my own voice. And so I thought I'd share that just as an intro into, you know, why I love stories, but most importantly, kind of why the story of how this Be Heard program came to be. So in terms of this session, we're going to look at why stories matter. We're going to look at African storytelling. We're going to look at story structure, a little bit of the neuroscience around storytelling, but most importantly, to get to that place where we can assist you using uh, the hero's journey as a tool to craft your story. So let's look at why stories matter. And maybe just to ask you, why do you think stories matter? Let's hear from you. Uh, I think stories matter because they connect us as human beings. And I think also it's what makes as unique as people. So the first time you meet a person, you can really connect with them if they share their stories. So that's how we connect as human beings. 100%. And you're going to be enthralled to hear about how the neuroscience connects to this, right? But there's this feeling that when I hear a person's story, it, it builds those feelings of bonding and connectedness amongst us. Okay, and so I say that stories matter because they're core to the human experience. I say think about stories you love, your favorite books, your favorite movie, your favorite story, and think to yourself about the reasons why you love it. Um, You know, is it because of the themes? And maybe just to pick on somebody here, Ite, can you think of a story you love, a favorite movie or a book you read, and maybe the reasons why you love that book or that story? Uh, I grew up listening to Bible stories, so those are the things that maybe create the character I have. Uh, Which yeah. is your favorite Bible story? Uh, it's uh, As I grow, I am loving that woman by the well who meets with Jesus. 
when uh, he's asking why you want water from us, you are Jews and I'm a Samaritan, and then she just gets um connection that ah, you are not an ordinary man, and then how do you know about me so much? And mm. then he tells her. Because I'm what you've been waiting for, the Messiah. And she was so excited. She could not contain herself. She went out to tell the people, come see the man who told me everything I've done. And I think that story to me is amazing. When you tell stories to people, they tell your story to others. They, you know? Yeah. It's a, sorry, there's a little bit of interference in the background. I'm not sure if that's you, but there's just a lot of moving around of things. Is that your is that you is that your background? Oh, I see. Okay. No, no, it's okay. We could hear you. I just thought there's it's muffled a little bit because there's some interference, but I got the gist of it, right? That it is this yeah. wonderful Bible story of Jesus meeting up with the woman at the well. And there's a reason why you love that story, right? So when we think to the stories that most connect with us or resonate with us, we're able to pinpoint kind of why it connects with us, why it resonates. Sometimes it's the moral of the story. Sometimes it's because we can picture ourselves in the story, right? Sometimes the message just connects with something so deep within us, but certainly core to the human experience. And then, of course, um, you know, to that point by Malzadzi about how stories connect us uh, to other people. Uh, and so sometimes somebody might tell you their story and you might be emotionally moved by their story, just listening to somebody else. Or, you know, you're, you're so inspired by somebody's story because it connects with your own virtues, uh, the things that you want to achieve for yourself. And then, of course, the third reason is I say stories are powerful and they matter because they're actually easier to remember. And, you know, what we know for sure is that stories are two to 10 times more memorable than facts. If you share a story, people remember the story more than they would if you just gave them a series of facts. Uh, when we look at TED Talks, which has become kind of the platform for people who are saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a thought leader. Um, I want to make an influence or I want to influence and make an impact. A lot of them are going to the TED platform. If you look at the top five uh, you know, TED uh, talks of all time, all of them harness the ability of storytelling. And in fact, there's a beautiful TED talk by Sir Ken Robinson, and he talks about creativity in schools. And you expect him to share a talk that's quite dull and boring and mundane. And in fact, it's the opposite of that because he couches the entire thing in story. So TED talks have 25% facts. But most of the TED Talks, and in particular the ones that sit at the very top in terms of the number of views, have about 65% of stories. And we're saying facts and reason only, facts and reason only just don't cut it. They just don't make it. And so stories are incredibly powerful. So, uh, you know, in the African culture, I spoke to you about how I used to listen to stories that my grandfather used to tell us. We'd get into bed every night and he'd tell us these amazing stories. And I think what's wonderful to note or something that I find intriguing within African storytelling in particular is the fact that the storyteller has a role to play alongside the person who's listening to the story. So we pay attention not just to the person who's telling the story, but to the person who's also the story listener. And in fact, we would often, as we start the story, start it with, and this is Kosa Kwat Kwating and Zom, which is really the invitation to, uh, you know, tell the story. It's almost 
you know, asking permission to share the story uh, with the listeners of the story because you know they have a role to play too. Um, and then they would respond to say, course, course, man, um, and that would be the response inviting you in or to continue um, as a storyteller, giving you that permission to continue to tell story. But I also think that the story listener is committing to listening to story, to being part of the story. Um, and you'll see what the connection to this is a little bit later when we start to look at the neuroscience of storytelling and this idea that as we listen to each other's stories, what we're actually doing is we're building that wonderful empathy between us. So I wanted to position this idea of a storyteller and a story listener. And we all have sat on either side at some point or the other. So here I want to talk about the neuroscience of storytelling and maybe just very quickly to say to you, when you hear the word bipedal motion or bipedal motion, uh, what comes to mind? Peter, what comes to mind when you hear these words? I feel like you've thrown me the hard question. <laughs> uh, bi, so bi is, usually means two, and I'm guessing pedal, maybe some kind of movement. Um, so the... So two people moving together or journeying together, possibly through through the story. I don't know. So bipedal <laughs> motion literally refers to something that goes a little bit like this. The ladies had been waiting for this day for a long time. The gun went off and they started to run. As they ran, they could feel the ground beneath them quicken, the wind behind their back, each intent to get that medal for their respective countries. They pushed with everything that they had, giving it their best shot at the Olympics, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Bipedal motion speaks to the act of running. And what we've done there is I said bipedal motion, what comes to mind? What comes to mind listening to the story now, Peter? Um, you got me lost in the story. So yeah, just this this that it's something that brings people together. Hundred percent. So what's interesting, Peter, is when I said bipedal motion, right? You felt mm -hmm. like I threw you into a corner <laughs> and you were like, eh, and your brain went, ah, bipedal motion, by means two pedal sounds like something that's gotta do with like maybe I don't know, pedaling, running, walking. And so your brain just went into like a how do I make sense of this? But the minute I couched it in a story, all of a sudden it changed a little bit. So I shared the story of people who were running. And so this is the power of story because now you got lost in the story versus, uh, you know, uh, sitting Yeah, Remember we spoke about this flipping your lid or yes. maybe we haven't spoken about it, but sitting at that place where you're going, yo, this is intimidating. What is Zoya trying to uh, do to me here? <laughs> and so when we talk about, you know, you know, storytelling from a neuroscience point of view, it's very interesting, colleagues, because, you know, what happens is that as we tell a story, as we tell a story, what actually happens is that the parts in your brain. So if I tell you the story of running and I build it up for you and I say every tendon and every muscle was stretched, they could feel the wind on their back as, you know, as as they sprinted across the hundred meter mark. And then they continued, right? 
um, you know, the other one looked to the competitor on the left-hand side, could see them coming up closely behind them. And inside herself, she edged herself to keep going. Keep going, keep going, she said. What happens in the brain, colleagues, is that, you know, the same, you know, something is activated. And what's activated literally are the same experiences that you would have if you were running that race. So I'm going to repeat that. As you hear the story, your brain activates the exact same experience as if you were having the experience of running the race. And that's why Peter's response was, I kind of got lost into it. I got pulled into the story. And so when we think about neuroscience or the neuroscience of storytelling, it tells us that, yes, stories connect us. But the reason they do is because we're able to simulate that experience for ourselves in our own brains. I become part of the story that Zoya is telling. And so we've got to be very mindful about how we tell our stories. What I tell our stories in ways that are then engaging, that pull people in, that allow people to come into our realities. And so, uh, you know, they talk about how stories, for the most part, um, are such powerful empathy machines because they get your brain to experience what I'm going through, through the process of us sharing stories. I don't know if you're hearing me, colleagues. Is it making sense? Do you hear what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. And so uh, what I want to get into, and this is just high level positioning of these things. I haven't gotten it in, in, into it in detail. And for the simple reason being that I actually want to get into, so how do we tell these stories? Okay. And so I'm going to ask us to do a little activity together. Okay. And the activity is, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, assist us to tell our stories and we're going to do it together. So how we're going to do this is I want us working together to think about a story um, that we can, you know, find in popular culture. So it can be a movie, it can be a book we read, something on Netflix. Uh, can somebody just give us a story? Lizzie, you've been quiet. Is there a story that maybe you could think of, Lizzie, that we can use for this um, particular activity? Um, Cinderella? Okay, great. So we've got Cinderella, and I think Cinderella is well known. Okay, so let's unpack Cinderella a little bit. And Cindy, you can stay on, but we'll invite others to participate as well. So let's build a story map uh, looking at the story of Cinderella. So what's the original story then? So, so we have this girl um, who, whose father has died, and she's living with her, her evil stepmother, correct? Uh, she's also got two stepsisters. And they're living in this house. And she's this girl, you know, uh, I think she's got dreams um, and hopes for herself. But the reality is that she's living in this particular home uh, where the stepmother's unkind to her um, and the stepsisters don't treat her nicely either. So that's kind of what's happening in the story. We know that she's lost her dad and now she has to endure, you know, living with these people who don't treat her very well. So we know she cooks and she cleans and they make her do lots of hard work. Um, and that's really kind of what, what, what we know uh, about what's happening in the story. If we talk about what is the hero in the story trying to accomplish? So we say Cinderella is the main character or the hero. What would you say she's trying to accomplish? She wants to go. So the, the side, then you have to add in the fact that during all of this, there's a prince and he is coming into the, the, her king, the kingdom. He's going to try and find 
um, his his princess to make his queen. And so Cinderella, they're throwing a big ball. And I would say that her what she's trying to accomplish is being able to go to the ball because her evil stepmother and stepsister say if she does all these chores and they give her even more things to do that she could maybe go to the ball and it's part of the cruelty because they have no intention of her going at all anyway so she's heartbroken and they all go off to her. so what she's trying to accomplish is just to be able to participate in this big fancy party right 100 percent, and it's because i mean the backdrop is that she's got this miserable life and so part of it is oh i wish i could escape the misery that i'm in um you know and when and when we hear that there's an upcoming ball you know, she gets very excited because she thinks, oh, it represents a little bit of freedom, um, you know, from this entrapment, um, you know, from this enslavement that I'm going through. So we could say that maybe what she's trying to accomplish is just to get out of this of this terrible situation. And that wonderful ball represents, uh, you know, the opportunity for her to get out, um, you know, of the situation, to get out and just to have a good time uh, for a little bit. So what stands in the way of that? What stands in the way of her being able to then do this? So what stands in the way is basically the stepmother and her stepsister would say that. And also the fact that she wouldn't have like a lovely dress or the makeup or like the hair accessories just to actually go to the board. Okay. And also transport. And so there's a whole lot of different things, right, that stand in the way of the Cinderella being able to go to this ball. Um, in our version of the story, in fact, she makes herself a beautiful dress and she collects all sorts of fabric and stuff. And she makes a dress and the terrible stepsisters come and they say, oh, you've used pieces of cloth from you know something we discarded. And they're unhappy with her and they rip her dress to shreds. And so she's miserable and sad because all of the things she needs, a dress, shoes, transport, everything, um, you know, she's like, she's just not able to, to, to get there. How does she overcome the obstacle? She has a, she has a fairy godmother, which is a wonderful thing to have because when she's crying, the godmother, the fairy godmother comes down and says, oh dear, why are you crying? And she tells her about the ball. And so her fairy godmother gives her everything she needs to attend the ball. 100%. And so fairy godmother gives her everything she needs to attend the ball. But of course, there's conditions, right? And the condition is that you have to be home before a certain time. Otherwise, all of these things that I'm going to magically recreate into something else for you are going to return to their original form. And so there is that condition. And of course, the story gets more complicated. There's the loss of a shoe, etc. But ultimately, I think we're happy to see that our hero is able to eventually overcome the numerous obstacles that have been put in her way. Um, and she's eventually able to leave that horrid house with those horrible stepsisters and that terrible stepmother. Okay. And so, colleagues, what I want to share with you today is this idea that all stories actually follow a very similar pattern. And the pattern is called Hero's Journey. So I'm going to play this quick video for you. Um, and just watch this and start to think about some of the stories that you love, the stories you've listened to, and see if they follow the same format. What do Harry Potter, Katniss Everdeen, and Frodo all have in common with the heroes of ancient myths? What if I told you they are all variants of the same hero? Do you believe that? Joseph Campbell did. He studied myths from all over the world and published a book called The Hero with a Thousand Faces, 
retelling dozens of stories and explaining how each represents the monomyth or hero's journey. So what is the hero's journey? Think of it as a cycle. The journey begins and ends in the hero's ordinary world, but the quest passes through an unfamiliar, special world. Along the way, there are some key events. Think about your favorite book or movie. Does it follow this pattern? Status quo, that's where we start. One o'clock, call to adventure. The hero receives a mysterious message, an invitation, a challenge. Two o'clock, assistance. The hero needs some help, probably from someone older, wiser. Three o'clock, departure. The hero crosses the threshold from his normal, safe home and enters the special world and adventure. We're not in Kansas anymore. Four o'clock, trials. Being a hero is hard work. Our hero solves a riddle, slays a monster, escapes from a trap. Five o'clock, approach. It's time to face the biggest ordeal, the hero's worst fear. Six o'clock, crisis. This is the hero's darkest hour. He faces death and possibly even dies, only to be reborn. Seven o'clock, treasure. As a result, the hero claims some treasure, special recognition, power. Eight o'clock, result. This can vary between stories. Do the monsters bow down before the hero, or do they chase him as he flees from the special world? Nine o'clock, return. After all that adventure, the hero returns to his ordinary world. Ten o'clock, new life. This quest has changed the hero. He has outgrown his old life. Eleven o'clock, resolution. All the tangled plot lines get straightened out. Twelve o'clock, status quo, but upgraded to a new level. Nothing is quite the same once you're a hero. Many popular books and movies follow this ancient formula pretty closely. Okay, so so I don't know. Just as you watch that, uh, let's think. Did did anything come to mind? Did a favorite uh, movie come to mind? Uh, did your own life come to mind uh, just as you were watching that? It's amazing. It's, it's almost like once you, it's it's like you've been given the um, uh, the tools to it, the magic trick, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that actually does translate to a lot of a lot of stories. And yeah, there, there might be like really complex little bits along the way, but yeah, the, the ones that I've just run a couple through my head, like the Cinderella one. And just thinking about Katniss Everdeen with Hunger Games and, and Harry Potter as, as it was going on. Yeah, it is. It's it's very, they're all the same. And so and so you're going to see, Buena Peter, that this is this is applicable even to the stories of your own life. And I'm going to break it down. So I'm going to go through it um, just so that you have an understanding of how it works. So first of all, uh, you know, we look at, um, you know, what the definitions of a hero uh, um, uh, so Christopher Reeve says a hero is an ordinary individual who finds the strength to persevere and endure in spite of overwhelming obstacles. And I think if we think about ourselves and some of what we've had to endure, the reality is that we're on our own hero's journeys. We've been on many hero's journeys. Joseph Campbell says a hero is someone who has given his or her life to something bigger than oneself. Um, and we can appreciate this if we think about how when you come back, when you return at the end of the hero's journey, you know, the status quo has changed. You're a little bit different. 
Um, something has shifted in you because of the trials and tribulations you've had to overcome. But let's unpack it uh, just so that it's a little bit more clearer for everyone. Okay. And so we say that the hero's journey is broken up into three. Okay. So it's broken up into three parts. The departure being the first part, the initiation being the second part, and the return being the third part. Okay. And so we say that every single one of us start in what we call the ordinary world. Okay. And the ordinary world is you waking up, going about your normal business, living day-to-day -day life. Things are kind of just ordinary. They're mundane. You're in your routines. You've got certain things you do. I wake up at a certain time. My routine involves getting my kids ready for school, uh, lunches, dressing people, all sorts of things, and then settling into my day. So it's an ordinary world. It's an ordinary day. You wake up and you have that kind of day. Then something happens in the course of that day that either disrupts that day. And we call this, you know, the, the call to adventure. So it jerks the day. It disrupts the day. It could be a phone call announcing news of the, you know, the passing of a loved one. Um, it could be, uh, you know, uh, getting an email uh, announcing that you have been uh, accepted into that role that you applied for. Um, you know, it could be news of the arrival of a baby, uh, whatever the case might be. But something comes that takes what is an ordinary day and really kind of just, you know, uh, makes it an interesting day. So we say something happens is a call to adventure. Now, what typically happens is that when we have a call to adventure as people, the first thing that happens is that there is a refusal of the call. Okay. So, uh, you know, uh, in the event of the work promotion, you could sit with feelings of, oh, my word, now that it's really happening. Oh, I've got all of these people who are going to be looking at me to have the answers. Oh, my gosh, I thought I was ready. But now all of a sudden, this opportunity has presented itself and I don't know that I am up for it. And so there is this initial refusal of the call. Right, because it is intimidating, it's daunting to move from kind of the ordinary world into a space that is not ordinary, to move into what we call a special world or to move into a world that's not ordinary anymore. So here we talk about how this is equivalent to you really being pushed out of your comfort zone. And it can be caused by negative circumstances or positive things, but something happens. Now, what assists you to accept the call oftentimes is some kind of mentor. So a mentor comes in and the mentor says, no, Zoya, man, you can do this. You know, you've got what it takes. Or you need to do a presentation. Zoya comes in and says, let me help you with that presentation. You're going to ace it. So some kind of mentor, a guide, some assistance is given to you. This is somebody who's either wiser than you. This is somebody who possesses a skill you might not have but some kind of assistance is provided to assist you to do the work of accepting the call to adventure. Now, once you meet the mentor, now there's no turning back. You're about to move from the ordinary world into an, you know, an extraordinary or special world. And we call this the initiation. So you've left, you crossed the threshold and you're now going to be initiated. So remember 
that if we go back to the example of the promotion at work, you've now accepted it, this is the new role, you'll appreciate that with that new role will come many things that you have not experienced before. And so we say you're going to undergo tests and challenges, you're going to make friends and you're going to make enemies in all of this. And all of it is doing the work of refining the human being that you are. And so we talk about how in all of this, what is being done is you are being fortified. The tests are assisting you to be fortified, right? Your character is being developed. You're shocked when people who are friends become enemies. But all sorts of things happen in that initiation phase. And as the word initiation implies, you're undergoing a process of being stretched, navigating all of the different things that are happening in that unknown space that's not particularly comfortable. When we talk about this idea of approaching the innermost cave, we say often there's a reckoning you need to have with yourself. So at some point, you know, in order for you to really overcome these challenges, uh, you know, if we go back to the video, uh, in order to slay those monsters, you know, you have a moment where you actually need to approach the innermost cave. And what this represents is literally that point where you're needing to confront yourself, your own fears, your doubts, um, you know, those things that are holding you back um, as you navigate this initiation phase. And so we say when you do that, you actually go through quite an ordeal where there is potentially the death of an old self and perhaps the rebirth of a new version of yourself. Why? Because you've confronted yourself in the innermost cave. Uh, you know, in that innermost cave, it's important to note that you don't go in there with other people. We talk about how it's the journey that you take by yourself. It's a, it's a very personal journey and you confront your worst fears, uh, those self-doubts that creep up, all of those things. Um, and that results in you undergoing a process of death and rebirth, okay? And so now we say, you know, you have gone through this and typically what we see is that there is some kind of reward, uh, you know, when you've gone through this process, the reward could be I finally settled into my role, I've cemented myself and I'm starting to make an impact or I have a sense that I can make an impact because now I have settled into my role. And in fact, you know, I might get a word from my boss who says you're doing a great job, uh, you know, we're going to give you more, uh, you know, opportunities or uh, you know, we're going to let you lead a particular project. So there's some kind of reward that often accompanies you having taken the time to invest in doing, uh, you know, some of that work, you know, in this initiation phase. And then, of course, it's the road back. Um, and the road back is where you're now preparing to return to the ordinary world. And of course, the ordinary world continues as it was when you left it, except something has shifted, something has changed you have changed. Something has shifted for you because you've just been through a rigorous journey. Um, and so you look and you recognize that you are no longer the same. And that's why they call it like a resurrection of sorts. You're no longer the person that you were when you first started this journey. And so you return uh, back into that ordinary world. And they say you return with the prize or the elixir. Um, and so this is really kind of the, you know, the, the story that most or the, or the, or the, the pattern, uh, the structure that most of these stories uh, follow. If in telling our stories, colleagues, we want to tell only the good and the wonderful stuff, for some reason, it starts to feel inauthentic. 
Part of the power of this tool is the fact that it tells the fullness of the story. And yet how many times do we, when we want to share stories, our stories, others' stories, do we want to gloss over the stuff that doesn't sound too great? Because we think I, that shouldn't have a place in the story. And yet part of the power of the story is, for the audience at least, is how did the hero overcome the obstacles? Because we know there's learning there for us. If I were to find myself in a similar situation, what might I do to be able to overcome the challenges on my journey? And so we listen in on people's stories and we want to hear both the really amazing, great stuff, but alongside that, coupled with the moments of being tested, of being challenged around a particular issue, and then, of course, understanding what they did in order to be able to overcome the obstacle. And so, you know, this is the tool, uh, the hero's journey. Um, it's a powerful tool that if you think back to your own stories, um, can really be powerful in terms of assisting you with the structure around how you're now, uh, you know, going to tell your stories uh, as you move forward. I just want to quickly do a stop share and I want you to engage with us. So, so having listened to that, colleagues, I'm curious about, uh, you know, what are you sitting and thinking of as you're listening and kind of taking it in and thinking through your own story? Um, you know, could you use this to plug your own story into it? I think for me, I think what's really resonating is that it actually doesn't matter what the story is. I could tell you an epic journey traveling through space, space, or you could, I could tell you a story about going to the supermarket. Um, and it actually doesn't matter the content. It's actually the how you tell it. And that's like, that's a real takeaway for me. And I think that's incredibly powerful, right? And that's why I say that every single one of the experiences that you're having can lend themselves into a story. They can be converted into powerful stories that you then use in your various presentations, because now you've got something to just plug it into. Um, I always use the example of the COVID pandemic. And I say the COVID pandemic is one very beautiful story of how all of us were thrust from a known world. We're kind of just going about our ordinary lives. And then COVID hits colleagues, and that becomes the call to adventure in this age, in this day and age. And so this call to adventure that's COVID presents us with so many challenges. We're thrust into a world that we don't know how to navigate. And for the most part, we're still navigating um, you know, that reality. So that's the big sort of call to adventure. If we looked at it kind of you know, from a bigger perspective, a more uh, you know, macro perspective, um, looking at that as the call to adventure and how we're navigating the COVID reality. Uh, we're not yet out of it. In other words, we're not yet returning to the ordinary world. Um, you know, having gleaned all the lessons we need to learn, we're still going through it. Um, but it, for me, I think represents the biggest call to adventure. And so uh, I'm going to ask that we, we, we leave it there for today. The intent had been to then say, how do we plug it into the business story? But before that, to really ask you to revisit your own story. And I want to start at the place of your own story, because I think it's important that we learn to tell our own stories first. So uh, I want you to take the tool, the hero's journey, and I want you to go back and think about a story, your own story that you can plug into this. And what I'll do next week, um, you know, even for those who've only committed to the session, what we'll do in the follow on session, sorry, it's not going to be next week, but it's going to be the week after that, is we will build on this one. I will hear your stories. That's the first thing. So I'm going to hear the stories that you will share. 
uh, using the hero's journey, your personal stories. And then we're going to talk about how do we take this into a business uh, you know, environment? How do we how do we still do the work of powerful storytelling within a business context? Because I think that's important. I also want to look at this idea of, you know, how do we bridge the gap between the personal and the professional? Um, I've listened to people where I'm like, oh, that's over, share, <laughs> you know, in your story. Uh, and so, and so how do we bridge or manage some of those, uh, you know, things around how much do we share in a professional setup that's linked to my personal story? So the homework is as follows. You're going to go back and you're going to plug this hero's journey tool uh, into your own story. I want you to think about kind of a time when you had a call to adventure. It could be recent. It could be long ago. Colleagues, it could be anything. It could be the birth of a child. It could be discovering an illness. Um, you know, it could be winning something significant. It could be becoming a champion. Uh, you know, it could be absolutely anything. But where you were called from your ordinary world into a world that really presented you with tests that took you to that inmost cave where you had to really confront yourself in order to be able to return, uh, you know, back to the ordinary world where something had definitely shifted. So asking you to plug your own story into the hero's journey. And when we next connect, that we start with hearing or listening to some of those stories. Um, as we wrap up the session, uh, it really is to just uh, remind you that stories are incredibly powerful for their ability to connect us, certainly. They're powerful because we know they're memorable. But most importantly, this idea that stories are like empathy machines. And when we can use tools like this to tell our stories, we're able to take people and transport them into our reality. Somebody leaves their reality for a second and is transported into my world. They're able to empathize real time because we've been told that the brain does that. It simulates that experience that you're having because I've created this vivid uh, you know, story for you. Um, and so as storytellers and as story listeners, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, and then to say we will be connecting again on the 9th of September. Uh, and then this is where we'll pick up on the storytelling bit and then plug it back into how do we tell business stories. So thank you so much. Thanks to those who were able to participate. Apologies once more for some of the confusion around logging in, et cetera. But thank you. It is 5.30. Have a wonderful rest of the afternoon, evening, uh, morning, depending on where you are in the world. And we'll connect on the 9th of September, same time, same place. Uh, all good. Thank you so much, colleagues. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.